Thank you for listening to the Adult Explorer Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston, who's one of the content editors on the Adult Explore the Bible team. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, we're going to be looking at the first session of our study of the books of Job and Ecclesiastes, which we'll be doing the summer of 2021. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 22 of chapter 1. Uh, the, the bigger context is chapters 1 and 2, but we're going to focus on just those verses 8 through 22. And in this context, we see that uh, the main point here is that Job's faith is tested. The summary statement for this lesson is that believers show the depth of their faith in adversity. Uh, let me just walk through the passage. Uh, there's three main points here. The main points are permissions granted, attack executed, and trust maintained. So in Job 1, 8 through 12, we find uh, this exchange between God and Satan, and God gave permission to Satan to test the faith and loyalty of Job. Now, God sets limits for Satan uh, before Satan could make his attack. Now, during this section, when we're teaching this, we want to make sure that we portray Satan as a real being who's powerful, but he's not equal to God. And we also want to acknowledge and affirm that God is good, loving, just, and wise, and there's a bigger purpose in the background behind what's happening here. The main point of these verses of 8 through 12 is that Satan seeks opportunities to attack God's faithful followers. In verses 13 through 19, we see the attack executed. Here, Job, he's going to lose his possessions, servants, children, and it's, all, it's an all-out attack by Satan. Job was not aware of the exchange between God and Satan, and he had no explanation for these losses. Which brings up this point that believers are not immune from experiencing calamity and loss. The last point of this passage, the last section, verses 20 through 22, is we have the idea of trust maintained. In response to these tragedies in his life, Job continued to praise God. He recognized God's sovereign rule over all things. And the main point there is that believers can worship God even in the midst of life's challenges, knowing that he is sovereign. Mike, let's think of some of the questions that are going to come out of this first session of our study of Job. Uh, how do we deal with those who interpret this story as God and Satan making a deal and God playing with Job's life. Well, um, yeah, in, in interpreting Job, I think we need to remind ourselves of the, of the, the purpose of the book. You know, what's, what's the main point of the book? What's, what, what point is this book trying to make? Primarily, I think, is to deal with the question of why anyone should worship and serve God. Is God worthy of our worship apart from the material things that he gives us? And Satan claimed that the only reason Job worshiped God was because God had given, you know, Job all these earthly blessings. And, and Satan asked the question in the first chapter, in verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? So um, I think that kind of drives uh, the, our understanding of what this book is really about. Now, as far as the question, uh, is God playing with Job's life here? While Job struggled to understand God's 
ways and what God was doing, he never stopped trusting God's wisdom, God's power, God's compassion. And in the end, when we come to the end of the book, we see that Satan was proved wrong in his assumption about Job and why he served God. And we see that Job's struggles led him to a greater understanding of God's power and his wisdom and, and his compassion as, as God revealed himself to Job. So having said all that, I can understand those who would interpret this book as, you know, you got God and Satan negotiating a deal. Now, what I think is going on here is that Satan tried to make a deal with God, but God didn't accept Satan's terms. God, God is not going to negotiate a deal with Satan as, as if you've got, it's not as, as if you have two parties negotiating as equals, no. God granted Satan certain liberties with Job, but God established boundaries for Satan. And, and you know, Satan, Satan's, one of Satan's questions to God in, in the first chapter is, haven't you placed a hedge, a hedge around him, around Job? And yeah, so the answer is yes, God did place. Wouldn't that boundaries. be true for, that'd be true for yeah. believers today too, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is true. God yeah. put boundaries and a hedge around Job and Satan could not cross those. Satan could only operate within the boundaries that God had established. And that's, that's still true today. What does this passage teach us about spiritual warfare and, and Satan specifically? Well, Satan specifically, there are limits to his power. Like, you know, like we just you know, said, um, this passage teaches us that Satan is um, mighty. God is almighty, as, as I've heard said. Um, uh, so he's he got Satan is not Satan is not sovereign. Okay, God is sovereign. Uh, Satan is powerful, yes, but God is more powerful. God is God. Uh, now, as far as Satan's tactics and and his warfare uh, is concerned, sometimes in Scripture, Satan is presented as the tempter. You know, he's the one who comes and he tempts, like in, in the Garden of Eden, for example, or or in the case with Jesus. In, in Matthew 4, it says the tempter approached Jesus. He, so he's there, the, the tempter. In Job, Satan is not the tempter. Satan didn't come to tempt Job with evil. He came to accuse Job. You know, he said, Satan said, he's, Job's only worshiping you for what he can get out of you, is what he said to God. So I think Satan uses both of these tactics on us. I think, he yes, he tempts us with sin, but sometimes his tactic is more subtle and it's to accuse us in our hearts, in our, in our minds. He's called in Revelation 12, the accuser of the, our brothers and sisters. So the way he works often is just to accuse us, accuse us in our hearts of being less than we ought to be, of reminding us of our sin and our unworthiness. He, he causes us to doubt who we are in Christ, to doubt even our salvation, to doubt our identity and our standing with Christ to question God's love and forgiveness. These are the, this is the way he works. And, and if you've read, if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, you, you may remember a scene, John Bunyan's Pilgrim Pro, Pilgrim's Progress. There's this battle between the accuser, Apollyon, and the main character, Christian. It, it happens in the Valley of Humiliation, where Apollyon begins to, uh, the accuser begins to recite a list of Christian's sins. And, you know, he says, like, he says to Christian, you've been unfaithful in your service to, to, to him, you, to God. You were unfaithful when you first set out and you almost drowned in the gulf of despair. You were unfaithful trying to 
rid yourself of your burden in the wrong way. You were unfaithful when you fell into a sinful sleep. You were unfaithful. And it goes on and on. And Christian's response to the accuser was, you know, all this is true. And you even left out a few things. I <laughs> serve, And here's what, accuse, uh, what Satan said to the accuser. The prince I serve is merciful and ready to forgive, and I have obtained the pardon of my prince. And at the mention of that, at, at the mention of Christ's forgiveness, Apollyon flies into a, a rage because the accuser can't stand the fact that his accusations are overcome by the grace of God in Christ. You know, Paul said, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. So it's Satan who accuses us. That's how he works. He accuses us in our hearts but it's God who defends and justifies. You see this, you see that in the Garden of Eden. He's, he's the one accusing at that point. He's accusing God though, in that sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. you can't trust, yeah, yeah. Now, Job remains faithful to God through all of this. Um, are there any practical things we can do that will help us remain faithful when we face these kind of challenges and tragedies as well? Well, know that we can't always find an answer an immediate answer for why we go through the painful experiences we go through and know that you don't need one we don't we don't we don't an answer is not always what we need um maybe seldom what we need job never understood the why of his suffering he never really understood the meaning of it as he was going through it and if you're if you're going through a time of suffering a time of struggle it doesn't mean that god has abandoned you it doesn't necessarily mean your faith is too weak. Um, you may not you may not know why you're going through that period uh, as it's happening. You know the book, the book of Job has a whole lot to say to us about the prosperity gospel and the name it, claim it theology that is is popular today in some circles. It's interesting <laughs> you think about it that in the gospel account of Satan tempting. Jesus, it's Satan who offers prosperity. Jesus up to a, on, a, on a high mountain and said, I'll give you all of this, all, you know, all of this if you worship me. But in the New Testament, Christians are told we can expect suffering and we can even embrace it because God uses our pain. Um, we, we can know that God permits and uses suffering to, to do something even greater in our lives whether to, to strengthen our devotion to him, to force us to depend more on his grace and his power, or just to cause us to know and experience his presence in a deeper way. Um, so yeah, Job never understood why all this happened, but in the end of his trial, he deeply, personally, experientially knew who God was. And his response to that knowledge, that deeper knowledge of who God was, was to worship God, not for what God gave him, but for who God is. And that's important for us to remember. It's not so much about what we get. Uh, it's about uh, trusting God to be God. Uh, yeah. I, have a, I have a friend that just has finished going through a difficult time in his life, and he's been out of the pulpit. Uh, he's a pastor, been out of the pulpit for several weeks, and he returned to the pulpit, and in the, in the sermon, I was listening to him preach uh, what he was saying, or listen to what he was saying, and he made the statement that prior to this experience, he'd always taught folks, when you're going through a 
a challenge, whatever, you should pray knowing that God's going to answer yes, no, or wait. Mm -hmm. But he said during that experience, he discovered that that's not true. What you should always go with is pray with that, knowing the answer is always trust me. Yeah. And it's not yes, nor wait. It's simply trust me. Trust. Yeah. Uh, and I found that very insightful. Uh, and and it, it helps me understand this passage, too, when thinking about Job going through this difficulty. It is about trusting him regardless uh, in that setting. Right. Mike, you mentioned um, Satan raising some questions here. In, in the personal study guide and in the daily discipleship guide, uh, in the section called uh, underneath, understand the context, in the third paragraph, we find this statement. Uh, Satan raised the question, uh, raised the question, excuse me, that are at the heart of the book of Job. Is God worthy of worship for who he is, or is he worthy, or is he worth worshiping only for what we, uh, one can get out of him. The second question is, is it possible for those who belong to God to remain faithful to him in the midst of great suffering? Now, those two questions are printed uh, in both the personal study guide and the daily discipleship guide. I bring those up because one way we, we may want to introduce this lesson to our Bible study groups is point to that paragraph. It's the third paragraph uh, on that page. Let them read that and just have an impromptu conversation about those two questions and then challenge them to find the answer to those two questions as you study through and as we study through the book of Job. That's one way that we may introduce the lesson uh, using, the, using that paragraph. I just want to share that quick idea. Uh, any key thoughts or insights you would want to share with us about Job 1, 8 through 22? Uh, nothing, nothing. Um... Nothing in addition to what we've already discussed, I think. You know, I'm really looking forward to teaching this, not just this lesson, this one lesson, but this whole study in, in Job and Ecclesiastes in, in my class. And it's, it's been a pleasure to, to, to think through some of these uh, things with you, and, and I appreciate you having me today. Thank you for being with us, Mike. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening to us today. If you have any comments or questions, you're always welcome to send me an email at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot m-c-c-r-a-r-y at lifeway.com. I'll do my best to answer your question. And if I don't know the answer, I'll find the right person who does know the answer and put you in contact with them. Hope you'll join us next week as we look at session two. Darren Clark's going to be my guest. And we're going to be looking at Job chapter 14, 1 through 14, thinking about hope defined.